Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Tragedy has struck the wonderful home studios. The studios have been struck by a most vicious tragedy, a most unkind uh, event. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to do you want to be the one to sort of make the announcement to our friends or do you want me to do it? I want you to do it because I don't know what you're referring Rachel to. Rachel made a big spill. Rachel just made a big, big spill on the carpet with uh, the LaCroix she's drinking, and it's a, one of those tall glasses, one of those tall cans, and I think they probably have more fluid in them, which meant more to more for you to so... They um, definitely don't have more fluid in them. Well, it's sweeter, so it's creating a more pungent scent. These, like, hybrid LaCroix, I think, I do have some traces of... Regardless, the carpet is now fully saturated, would you say? Um, um, I, w- I would say that sparkling water... Yeah. Um, uh, is actually like used often as a cleaning agent, so I, mm. I don't feel too guilty about my spill. It's a problem, though. There was nothing to clean, was there? Was there? I mean, this carpet's probably pretty gross. This carpet's pristine. Are you kidding me? It's my office. I keep this mm. shit like fully. This shit's like a laboratory where you could make dinosaurs or something. It's like the Andromeda strain. What are you looking for? Do you want to talk about how many empty cups you have on your desk right now? Three, but they are completely sanitized. (laughs) Also, look at the liquid in them. Do you know where the liquid went? They're mostly empty. You know where the liquid went? In my mouth and belly and my, my, you know, my balls where the piece is kept. But yours went on the ground. Do you want to, talk, you want to explore that? I just took a step to the bathroom to get a towel to clean up the foul mess. And it, the whole time, the, every step. Is this how you want to start our enthusiast podcast? Well, it's just I wanted to tell report on the accident because I'm still basically a journalist. Yeah. Still okay. mostly a journalist. No, yeah, no, that's, that's true. I mean. So I guess I could. Yeah. We th- I thought this would be a good opportunity for a press conference about this bill. Mm-hmm. So we take it to live, live to Rachel. So McCoy. am I? Am I giving the conference or are you? Yeah, you are. You're, okay. Yeah. Um, you're the yeah. Of I um, I did a whoopsie and I um didn't do it on purpose. It was what some people might call an accident. Uh, typically, yes. I'll I'll respond to your questions in a moment. Uh, typically, when someone does an accident. Uh, they are met by their loved ones with understanding, but this does not seem to be the case. Yes, Griffin, do you have a question? Uh, it's not Griffin. My name is Brock Bregan from the New York Magazine. And uh-huh. I, a quick question. There's a rumor going around the uh, you know, the press bin where we all uh, go out for drinks after we finish the newspaper. And do it I'm familiar with the bins. So uh, the rumor going around is that you did it on purpose to, uh, because you're mad. So no. can you report? can you reply to that? Um, can, can I hear about your source on that or? No? Uh, it's confidential, of course. Okay. So, well, yeah. I, I respect your integrity, Thank Brock. Thank you. Brock Brown. Um, I will say that, uh, I did not do it intentionally. Okay. Uh, although, I don't regret it. Hey, this is Chaz Charman from the Los Angeles Magazine. Uh, two questions. One, when you say you don't regret it, where's the sort of uh, where's that sort of fury coming from? And second of all, there's a rumor going around my press bin that you just like the carpets gushy. So I'm wondering if you could address that one actually first. That you like gushy carpets better. Uh, Jazz, I have read some of your work. Mm. Uh, it seems like you try and bring Gucci into all your stories. That's my thing. Uh, so I don't know that I can really take your question seriously. I don't blame you. Seems like all of your stories have a Gucci element. I'll be honest too, Los Angeles Magazine, I made that up. So this is my deal. I go to press conferences. <laughs> I try to get people to say the word Gucci, and I have succeeded. So uh, I will take a my leave. <laughs> Do you have any small wonders? 
I do. Have you seen uh. the photo of Martha from Great British Bake Off? She got married recently. <gasps> oh. And a bunch of the contestants from her season went to the wedding. Oh, that's good. And they all made cakes. Oh, there's pictures of it on the internet and it's wonderful. Oh, I'm full of power. Mm -hmm. I've just been filled with pure energy. Martha was the very young woman. Yes. Uh, And I guess I think it was season five. I cannot keep them straight. Uh, But there's just just beautiful photos of all of the contestants with her. And they're all so happy. Uh, Why wouldn't they be? Are so many cakes. That makes me so pleased. I'm yes. pleased as punch to hear that. Yes. Uh, my small wonder, it could be a big wonder, but I'm worried if I made it a big wonder, it would come off as sort of, um, I, I don't know the word to like sick, sycophantic or something, but Brian David Gilbert's. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that. At, uh, PAX East. Uh, I listened his, to it again today. I did too. He <laughs> did a live version of his show Unraveled, which is on Polygon, and I am so fucking like happy and proud of of the work he is doing over there. Uh, and Pat is also, you know, an integral component of the live show process, yeah. especially towards the end. But he, it's a thirty three minute long panel where he writes the perfect poker rap, and it is. Uh, you watch it thinking it's going to be funny. And then when the poker rap gets there and it's actually a fucking slap, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, what? Uh, he really breaks down his whole process and putting it together. And yeah. like as somebody who is enthusiastic about poetry, I really appreciated yeah. some of his uh, precise terminology. Yeah. Uh, and I will also say that I am not particularly familiar with the Pokemon, but I still sure. very much enjoyed it. Uh, I did too. I'm also playing a very good video game called Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. I'm not going to go into talking about it, but it makes me feel like a cool samurai dude. And I did not know that that was an aesthetic that I appreciated. But yeah. you get it, you get in on some like some good sword fighting, some good ghost well, dog shit. Well, you are a man that has owned a sword. It's more than one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's good. There used to be a game called Bushido Blade for PlayStation. Uh, and funny enough, Chris Plant, uh, when he moved here, like one of the first hangs he did at his house was to hook up the PlayStation and play this game with like me and Justin, some of our friends. And the whole idea is you're sword fighting. And if you hit the other person once, they die because it's a sword. So it's not like every other fighting game where you're like whittling them down. And this this game does that too. And it just, it feels nice. It's got a good sword feel. Uh, I go first this week. Okay. My first thing, I could not think of a good way to phrase it. So it's going to be strangely phrased, which is I feel a zone I feel comfortable in. Visible mountains I enjoy. And that is not to suggest that there are such things as invisible mountains. But I, I'm talking about mountain, or is there... Dun, 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 dun. That's the X-Files noise. It's hard to do that with your mouth. <laughs> um, what I am bringing is the idea that it is just good to see a mountain, to be able to see a mountain. And I'm specifically bringing this because I just got back from Salt Lake City where we did a tour. Uh, people, and there's mountains galore there. Do you think people like not seeing mountains? Your suggestion is that being able to see a mountain is wonderful. Which I would just say maybe just mountains are wonderful. Maybe that's what it is. It's not the ability to see a mountain, but when you are in a place and there's mountains there, I think yeah. I'm specifically thinking in contrast with a city where where you're in. Maybe urban mountains would have been a better thing, it but like that sounds you just like, like, an, like seeing mountains. I think I maybe okay. I like mountains, <laughs> but that makes it sound like I'm always like climbing mountains or I like them. Ge- ge- you know, geographically, to- yeah. topographically, I mean, you can like tigers, but not you know. Hang out with tigers all the time. That's fair. So anyway, uh, since I've been touring with the podcast, I've been yes. lucky enough to 
go to cities that just have like mountains just like has them and like phoenix was like that surprisingly i didn't expect that and then we flew in it's like oh cool mountains uh and then seattle is so good for that there's mountains mountains galore uh, that is a really good point because so you grew up in west virginia which is yes fairly mountainous but not in that way so yes it is more i mean it is mountain mountainy uh obviously there's the Appalachian Mountains there but Huntington is more hilly I think for lack of a better term like you know we got some topography it's topographically diverse I would say mm-hmm. because there's rivers and valleys and you know hills all over but we don't necessarily have like the huge mountain we don't necessarily have like mm-hmm. you know the big uh just awe inspiring mountain peak yeah. the Appalachian range is more sort of uh just like just like topographically diverse sort of long Long, long, long ass, like eternally reaching forever stretches of of hills and uh, mountains and stuff like that. And that's good. Like that's in my DNA. Like I will always, always like. Uh, it's one thing that I don't get a lot in Texas, right? We're in hill country, but there's very, very few places that I feel like I drive regularly or on like Texas car trips where you get that feeling of being in a road that is like nestled between mountainsides. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that in West Virginia and I get that in certain places, you know, throughout the um, uh, throughout New England and, you know, anywhere where there's sort of that, that mountain rangey thing. I've never actually driven that much on the West coast. Cause I usually like fly out there. Um, but, uh, just like being in Salt Lake city, I think is what like sort of floored me because there, the mountains there are huge and like snow capped, majestic mountains. I wanted to go hiking in them, which is new for me wanting to do that while on tour and not just <laughs> yeah. like sit in my hotel and play switch. Um, but then I found out it's like 40 degrees still in the mountains and there's like, like lots of snow on the ground so i would have died up there which is yeah, not I'm glad great you did that prep work before you went out there me too it could have been a real horror story um i think like just having your horizon broken up with like yeah. upward land is a really like uh is a really beautiful thing um when we were younger the McElroy family would take a, a summer vacation every year without without fail we'd all go on vacation together and the options were either beach where we would usually go to Myrtle Beach or uh, Nags Head occasionally or somewhere in Florida usually Vero Beach uh, or we would go to the Smoky Mountains we would go up to Gatlinburg Tennessee and Gatlinburg has it all I don't know if you've ever been uh, I'm sure you've I been to places not. like Gatlinburg here in your Memphis and that's about it okay you I've heard your experiences from Silver Dollar City and it sounds Mm -hmm. kind of reminiscent because it is it has the Smoky Mountains which are gorgeous Mm -hmm. beautiful mountains and there's plenty of cabins to stay in and we always stayed in a big cabin with a hot tub and got to like chill in the hot tub at night and look over the mountains it was beautiful and then in the city they had mini golf and laser tag and like a thousand places that that sold fudge and they had a place that sold replica swords and BB guns for some reason um, but even when they had, you know, swords and BB guns and infinite fudge, all I really wanted to do was hang out in the cabin in the mountains because it was so pretty and so nice. And I preferred it to the beach, which I know I do. There's a weird dichotomy that sometimes people float the uh, beach versus mountains, which one you'd rather go to. But the mountains do have less sand. And so I I really don't like sand. I really am not a big fan of it. Um, I had a very formative week uh, when I was in high school where I went with uh, uh, some family friends from church 
uh, to Hillsboro, West Virginia, uh, which was actually what inspired the setting for Kepler in uh, Adventure Zone Amnesty oh. because we went to the Green Bank Telescope on that trip uh, because oh. Hillsboro is very close to it. It's just like a small town, like 260 people live there, but it's in this like basin. It's in this basin just surrounded by mountains on all sides. And it was just such a like gorgeous, gorgeous that place to nice. be. Um, I just like being being around mountains. I don't usually, I don't like, we did one hiking trip uh, when I was in, uh, when I was in Colorado in Breckenridge and I cannot remember like what the hike was, but we hiked for like almost three hours and went way up a mountain and then we're there like by the, like, uh, the, the climb up to the mountain, up to the peak. And it was like raising up over this beautiful lake and there was still like some snow in places and it was the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. And then like when we were in Hakone, that was one of the prettiest places I've ever been for yeah. similar reasons. We were there right when fall started to go and like it's in the mountains and, uh, we went to like these spectacular places and Mount Fuji was in the background. Yeah. Supposedly we couldn't really get a good look at it, but, um, I just like, visible mountains and i think what people find like so inspiring about mountains is the sense of scale like how humbling they are because it's uh it is it is tough to see something like that in the distance and feel like big shit i feel like especially when it's right next to a city like here's all this huge stuff that people made like in seattle look at all this big stuff we made and it's like yeah that's pretty cool but here's a mountain so yeah i can't i i am not obviously i am not somebody that grew up around mountains uh and i've only spent a very small amount of time but i am curious how that kind of changes a person yeah just to have that connection i feel like you'd be a lot more outdoorsy and adventurous if you just had this like big incredible thing near you all the time this happened to me on this trip i was in salt lake city i had when i went on this vision quest of going hiking uh, and I found this seven mile hike down to like a similar kind of lake next to the mountains and it looked great. And I was trying to convince my family members into doing it with me before I found out that it would be lethal. Um, <laughs> but it made me want to like go to REI and just fucking stock up and go live in the mountains oh, for a bit. On go. my flight home, I watched Free Solo and I was like, this is me. This oh, is me now. Please, please now. And then I watched him climb El Capitan by himself without ropes. And I was like, this is not me. No, please no. Who is this? The movie's balling. My <laughs> butthole was so clenched during that entire. I'm demonstrating to Rachel. Yeah, it's, he's giving me like a hand. It's like um, like a very tight okay sign right it's now. It's like not even. Yeah, it's like a molecular level sort of butthole. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of. Uh, what, would, what would you say if you had to give me a hand gesture for how your butthole is normally? Oh, I mean, on a normal day, like I want to compare. You know, so I really appreciate the tightness do you just want to see it no that probably oh, like wow that. is that bad i mean it's a pretty pretty big letter o right there well actually looks more like a d is your hand okay no my butthole's bad <laughs> <laughs> it's gross um you started it i think i don't want to slam beach people because i think you can also get this from the ocean i didn't i've never gotten this feeling from the ocean this like awe-inspiring like humility until we actually went on the boat because there's a difference between like hearing a bunch of people playing volleyball and you're sitting on the sand where you can still see land and being on a boat where you're like uh-oh if this boat if this boat went down i'd be fucked because the ocean is so big yeah. so i got that on a cruise but again sand no good not a beach guy yeah i i really hate sand i i do love as we all know the sun oh sure you have it tattooed on your body what's not to love about oh. it oh do you not like no, people knowing that i mean i'm okay with it it's just kind of embarrassing she got the bit. sunny delight logo uh, no. tattooed on her um uh, but no. 
No. Hey, what's your first thing? My first thing mm. is the Perry Preschool Project. Don't know it. I figured you would. I love Perry's work, but I don't know about their mm-hmm. wonderful preschool project yet. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so the Perry that is being referred to is Perry Elementary School. Uh, and this is a randomized control trial that took place in the early 1960s. I was thinking of Matthew Perry. Oh. He did his own thing. He did his own thing, but uh-huh. it's with middle schools. And oh. it was called Chandler's Kids. You always say Chandler. Do I? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. <laughs> It's so strange to me. How does a person get like that, I wonder? I don't know. I've seen friends yes. quite a bit. It's not It's not an affectation. When I say it, does it sound weird you to you? You say it. Chandler. You just said it the way I say it. I know. It. I'm saying when you hear that, does oh, it trigger no. you of like, this is the wrong way to say it? No, that's right. Chandler. Okay. <laughs> so strange. Okay, so this project basically validated the importance of high quality preschool for kids oh okay that's kind of the the um elevator pitch okay i didn't know that we had decided that was that was something that was necessary uh what high quality preschool yeah no i mean i guess it's better than the alternative but it's i learned how to sure i learned how to skip in preschool i don't know that i needed that to thrive in the workplace well let me tell you okay please yes what happened dunk on me So they went into uh, an area of high poverty and looked at 128 three and four year old children that were assessed to be at risk of school failure, whether it's like their background or, you know, their income issues or whatever. It began as a research study seeking to answer whether access to high quality education could have a positive impact on preschool children and the communities where they live. Okay. It was conducted from 1962 to 1967, and then they followed up with the kids at age 27 and then again at age 40. Oh, they're on some like seven up shit. Mm-hmm. So at age 27, uh, oh, and let me just say randomized control trial means like some of the kids were in this high quality program and some were not. Okay. Uh, they were divided into two groups. One received the high quality preschool and one received no preschool education. Were three of them triplets, but they didn't tell them? No, although that's a very good movie. Heartbreaking. So they followed up with these kids at age 27. At age 27, the kids that had the high quality preschool had completed on average one more year of schooling, uh, had a 44% higher high school graduation rate. Wow. And then at age 40, they followed up and they were 46% less likely to have served time in jail, 33% lower arrest rate. Just from... Preschool? Just from going to like a high quality preschool. Just for like a year? How long? Like just like a little bit? Three and four year olds. So. Wow. Yeah. That's such a narrow. That scares the shit out of me as the parent of a two year old. It makes me think (laughs) in the next two years, shit's going to like pop off. That's going to decide everything. That's I. I have known for a while now that preschool is very important because I worked at United Way and early childhood education was a big part of that. Right. Uh, and it's part of the reason that I worked so hard to find Henry a preschool that was NAEYC accredited. Okay. Uh, because there are certain quality standards that preschools uh, have to meet when they receive that accreditation. Right. 
Uh, and a lot of it is like class size and, you know, access to learning materials and, you know, teacher child ratios. And, and is it a barn? And yeah. <laughs> is there actually hay everywhere? And is there animals everywhere? And is it actually a farm that you're dropping your kid off mm-hmm. at? Mm-hmm. And is the farm abandoned? Mm-hmm. And is it run by feral goats? Mm-hmm. And the feral goats like the taste of children flesh and hair? Uh, Let me tell you about some more of the results. Okay. So again, at age 40, the children that have been to the high quality preschool had a 42% higher medium monthly income uh, and were 26% less likely to have received government assistance in the past 10 years. Uh, So there's just this suggestion of investing in high quality preschool has a huge return. And this is actually one of the first studies because longitudinal studies are really rare right you know committing to these kids for like over 30 years is significant um but it showed just just by you know keeping these kids out of jail for example like the roi on it was significant you they were actually able to demonstrate to communities like invest in early education it will save you money in the long run uh because these kids have much better outcomes when they go that's why has anybody ever done a study like this since then that has like corroborated those those numbers seem fucking buck wild. I to know me. they seem buck wild. They make me I know that they got like uh, over 100 kids for this study, but it makes me think that there must be some sort of wild outlier because fucking like 40. If you have a good preschool when you're three and four, you don't go to jail. But if you do, it's a 45 percent like that's so high. That's well, so I much. Think part of it, too, is, is they're looking at, at low income kids. So they're kids that don't have access to a lot of resources. And so the school was an opportunity for them to get access to resources they might not have had otherwise. Okay. And so if you think about the kids that didn't get to participate, you know, they were missing all sorts of resources that the kids that did, did. You know, like it, yeah. if you look at like a, a middle income or a high income neighborhood, you probably wouldn't see these kind of results. Did people take this study to heart? Like did, did this lead to like a, a, a serious change in like how communities thought about early childhood Yeah, so education? in the 60s, like around this time period, um, and I don't know that it was as a result of the study because it was the very beginning of it. Right. But that's when uh, Linda Johnson started Head Start. Oh, which okay. is like the big program for low-income kids. He he was a big proponent of saying that everybody, regardless of income status, has you know should have access to high-quality preschool. Yeah. Um, and I just I you know I talked about how I'm like you know passionate about teachers and and you know education and I as Henry gets older, I just feel more and more strongly about this. Like I see the benefits with him having been in a school program already. You know, mm-hmm. he's two. Uh, and I just, I just think it's so tremendous because it's such a like spongy age, yeah. you know, like to, to invest at this time where kids are really like setting their trajectory of how they learn and how they discover things yeah. like is, is such a huge opportunity. I don't remember anything from preschool, say for one memory. And it's that I didn't, there was a period where I didn't like napping. This is this may be my first memory when I was like three or four <laughs> and we had these cots that were just these metal racks with this stretched. It was almost like a trampoline material that was stretched yeah, I mean, and that was the cot. Yeah, that's, that's what a cot is. Well, yeah, but there was nothing else on it. You're just sleeping on this trampoline. That's not what they sleep on at, at daycare, at Henry's daycare, is it? Maybe it is. Wow. Okay, never mind. Um, but I couldn't sleep. And so I had the blanket pulled over my head. I was just like holding on to it like I was in a horror movie, holding on to <laughs> it over my head. And the uh, the teacher walked up and pulled the blanket off me because I guess she could tell that I was awake. And she went, go to sleep. <laughs> That's my sure? first memory. Are you sure this 
this is real. That's a real memory because I remember it, it was like so that's a good first memory to have because of course that would be burned into your skull because first of all that's not how it works. That's not going to get me drifting off. The first preschool memory I have, I think, is when I was on the playground and they had those big cement tunnels and I like bashed my head into it. Oh, no. So I I don't think it's fair to say that the memories are really reflective of preschool. Yeah. Because it's easier, I think, to remember the traumatic memories. That is fair. Than, uh, oh, I had really good milk all the time. The milk was good, though. (laughs) Damn. Hey, can I steal you away? Yes. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, that I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain hey can i read you some personal messages hell no yes no <laughs> What a roller coaster. Mm. This first one is for Amy. It is from Daniel. Happy birthday and or anniversary. It's been about a year since we met and that's pretty dang sweet, dog. I'm so glad to be consciously coupling with such a charming and charismatic cutie. 
It infinitely rules that you're the one I get to spend my life with. You're my favorite person, my golden hour, and I love you more each day. Definitely still a 10. Nice. I like referring to somebody as a golden hour. That's yeah. perfect. I like referring to someone as still a 10 and then declaring in all capital letters. Nice. Nice. Uh, here's a Jumbotron and it's for Jenny and it's from Sophie who says I hope that by now we're living together with the cats and the Furbies and our eight years apart are finally over if not just pause the podcast until then for eight years stay subscribed I guess those downloads still count I am so proud of you and I can't wait to see everything life has in store for us thank you for always supporting me crushing whatever you put your mind to and making every day a small wonder that's a very sweet one. That's message. very nice. Eight years is a long time. Yeah, that's really, really tough. Do you think that Jenny is former President Barack Obama? It's like a oh. nickname, a nickname for him, and then it's eight years. It's just the city of Chicago. <laughs> and it's just the city of Chicago is very excited. Hi, I'm the JV Club Podcast, Janet Varney, and I used to suffer from indecision. I couldn't choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, whether to call or text, or the best way to cook my eggs. But now, thanks to my weekly dose of We Got This on Maximum Fun, my decisions are made for me. Thanks, Mark and Hal! Warning, We Got This may cause shouting, phone throwing, the illusion that the hosts can hear you, laughter on public transit, and death. We Got This with Mark and Hal. We know what's best. Can I tell you about my second thing? Yes. Okay. I want to talk about chill hop. I'm going to talk chill about chill, what? chill hop. Chill hop. I'm going to talk about chill hop now. That's not an expression I'm familiar with. Same until about a year ago. And of all of the internet trends that I thought I would find myself susceptible to, chill hop was not among uh, one of the more like likely ones. But damn it, these these teens are onto something. These millennials have figured something out. Chill hop is, and I'm going to be very reductive and wrong because I'm an old man. But it's kind of this sub 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 genre that has like this wildly specific origin story and also like wildly specific purpose. Basically, I'm talking about like lo-fi, typically instrumental hip hop like beats that one might say chill out to or study to or prepare an episode of their podcast to. Um, and I was made aware of Chill Hop last year when Polygon did a sort of parodic 12 hour long stream of Chill Hop music to study to, uh, featuring Waluigi. And at the time I was like, <laughs> oh, this is funny, but I did not get what I was referring to. And now I do because I've been listening to it lately. Um, because I like instrumental music to like work to. I have a work playlist on, on Spotify, but it's like mostly like acoustic like stringed stuff and piano stuff. Uh, but chill hop is starting to sort of sup supplant that. Um, chill hop is also kind of referring to the, this like genre of YouTube channels that feature 24 hour long streams of just these chill, like lo-fi hip hop beats. And they typically play over these like very relaxing Ghibli esque, like anime scenes. 
uh, of usually like some characters studying. Um, and if you're wondering like how popular this like sub 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 genre actually is, uh, one of the formative YouTubers behind this genre is a person named Chilled Cal. They have over three million subscribers, and when I was like researching this, they had fifteen thousand concurrent viewers just like watching this chill wow. chill hop beats to study too. So to like give you a feel for the vibe, if you're uh, over the age of thirty like me and don't know what this thing is, uh, this is a chill hop song from an artist called Mommy. And it's called Passing. So, like, what I couldn't understand is... First, first can I say? Yes. So chill. It's deeply chill. My, Just incredibly chill. It, like, lowers your heart rate. My blood pressure is, yeah, yes. it's negative. The blood is pumping backwards. Um, <laughs> I couldn't understand why... It's such a specific thing. These are chill, lo-fi, hip-hop beats over anime scenes and you're supposed to study to it and that's like what it is that's like what it is and i could not understand like what are the origins of what that is uh vice did a feature on this subset of of chill study beats and where it came from and uh it's just an extremely late 2010s internet culture story um so they're big on youtube because youtube is kind of lax uh, for its live streams for like uh, uh, copyright laws. The other big streaming service is called Twitch. And like if you run music, as somebody who played a, a game set to Orinoco Flow 15 times over and like the entire video got just scrubbed from the face of the internet, <laughs> YouTube is way like cooler about that. Uh, but it didn't start doing streaming stuff until 2013. And then it wasn't really even like good and stable until 2017, which is when this sort of, this genre kind of took off. Uh, it's It's very new. Um, the idea of background music that you can like kind of absorb and have it be like uh, inoffensive is is not new, right? Like you are aware yeah. of Muzak. Yeah, um, of course. I did not know Muzak was invented by a, du- a dude named George Owen Square, who was a, a soldier and an inventor. And in 1922, he invented Wired Radio, which was a service that you could just like shoot music to businesses and subscribers over wires that they could work to. And that music was wow. Muzak. So like Muzak, when Muzak was invented, it was also like a, a system of transmitting music from one place to the other, which I did not appreciate. That's wild. So I think you could like argue that this is kind of an evolution of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, this idea of like wallpaper music, and you hear it everywhere, right? Like boarding planes or mm-hmm. uh, in bathrooms at restaurants, boarding borders in stores. Um, and this is, I think, better than Muzak, but it's its own thing. Um, and, and another big reason for this, like the the advent of, of chill hop is uh, streaming music. So over the last few years, Spotify has been putting together like curated uh, playlists for you to listen to, not just the Discover Weekly, but like uh, almost always every time you log on to Spotify and load it up, there's some chill variety of playlist uh be it like chill hip-hop or chill acoustic or chill piano or chill vocal or whatever they have something on there uh and funny enough spotify did a study in 2014 on like where people were listening to these chill playlists you'll never guess in u.s states where marijuana is legalized (laughs) is where they are listened to most frequently so chill 
So this cross-section of lo-fi hip-hop beats and college students needing music to study to and anime, like that was kind of a harder trend to, to solve. Um, but this Vice article interviewed a DJ named Celsius who put up the following theory that like blew my mind. Uh, Celsius said, uh, uh, this is actually from the article. He theorizes that the chill hop renaissance can be traced back to a bygone nostalgia for Cartoon Network's Adult Swim and Toonami. Adult Swim specialized in toothsome twilight grooves for its bumpers and commercials, and they also engineered the crossover success of the zonked savant rapper MF Doom. Do you know MF Doom? Like uh, Only Danger- since I've known, known you. Me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Toonami, on the other hand, uh, brought Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Shampoo to a Western audience for the first time with their incredible incredible meringue tinged soundtracks intact the teenagers who loved this stuff are now entering their late 20s of course they'd be ready to feel those textures again that makes so much that sense makes so much sense like these, yeah. these these people who like i grew up watching adult swim and toonami i grew up watching cowboy bebop and samurai shampoo and like they did have these like uh like black screen with white text and they would usually have some sort of pithy thing like between shows and they would all have these like lo-fi grooves under them and when you put that all together like and then some of the people who are watching this are in college now and need music to, yeah. to vibe out to or work to or study to or whatever. Um, I read that and I was like, oh, I get I typically whenever I have a question about like arcane Internet stuff, I very rarely find it answered so completely from a uh-huh. single source. But like I read that and I was like, oh, yeah. Um, but for me, it's less about like this aesthetic, this like Cartoon Network Adult Swim Toonami aesthetic and more about just like I like having chill instrumental music to work to. And this is like. A whole new world of just of just stuff, and there's infinity of it. There's yeah, infinity. Of I am it. really fascinated by that, like subconscious link to nostalgia, because it makes me wonder if every single thing that we're interested in can be traced back in some way to nostalgia. Maybe I don't know, but this is one example <laughs> of like explicitly. Yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes that's, that's what it is. Uh, what's your second thing? My second thing is vaporwave. Deal with it. I thought we could just all do like very arcane um, internet. Uh, I don't know what focus. vaporwave is. Oh, have, did you ever use Windows ninety five? Yeah, that's what vaporwave is. Huh. Okay. My second thing is saying I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And I'm not referencing you can't do that on television. Oh, okay. Um, because that used to be what they would say, and then the slime would fall on them. We are really covering all of our sort of, <laughs> we, we're covering decades of pop culture interest in this episode. There is something, and I wanted to introduce it because there are a lot of people that haven't reached this stage in their life yet. And it's actually something I talked about with your former boss, Chris Grant. Okay. Uh, it's, genius. Genius man. Genius man. It's It's something about getting to an age, for me it was like early 30s where I felt comfortable saying that I didn't know something. And it opened just a whole bunch of doors for me. Uh, and I would recommend it to other people. It's a very valuable phrase because you learn something typically when you say it. I Yes. Yeah, so I, I will say that I think when I was younger, I felt this pressure of either like guessing at an answer. Yes. You know, or trying to prove that I knew something about it. So instead of saying, I don't know, I would like say the thing that I did know. Or making up an answer thinking yes. they're not going to call you on it and then they call you on it yes. and you get embarrassed. I have reached an age now where somebody will ask me a question. Sometimes it's simple as Griffin asking me if we have any brown sugar and I will just say, I don't know. And it's so freeing because it like, it's honest. Yeah. 
And it like keeps me from like doing the mental gymnastics of like, I don't know, do we? Should I should I know this? Now, when, when was the last time I saw, you know? Yeah. Now you did eat all the brown sugar. You scooped it all out of the bag like a bear mm-hmm. might do. And you ate, you did eat all of it. So when you said, I don't know, that time it was a lie because you knew that you ate all the brown sugar just right <laughs> out of the bag and threw the bag away. You buried the bag in the yard. After I made your carpet gushy. Yeah. I just rolled around in brown sugar. She's kind of like a big Kodiak bear that has wandered <laughs> into our house. So I found this great um, list of 10 reasons it's great to say, I don't know, uh, on this website uh, called opencolleges.edu. It's from InformEd. Uh, Number one, like you mentioned, you learn something new. If you don't know the answer, you learn something new, which is not a bad thing. Uh, Two, it helps you develop relationships. When you uh, are willing to voluntarily learn from others, you can help build a relationship. Yeah. People love saying smart shit to other people and let them do that for you. (laughs) Uh, Three, it helps you avoid complacency. Actively realizing you don't know an answer and planning to do something about it is one of the keys to successful self-driven learning. Uh, It will stimulate engagement. When one person admits it, other feel at ease to speak up. This is another one of my favorite things. Oh, my God. When you're in a conversation and and somebody's talking about vaporwave and you're like, I don't know what that is. Yes. Or in class when you're getting quizzed on something and you stand up on top of your desktop and you say, (laughs) I don't know. And then everybody else does too. (laughs) That'd be a cooler ending for that movie. Right. (laughs) And how proud. How proud Robert That teacher be. Yeah. Good work, boys. Good. Good. <laughs> None That's of you right. learned anything. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, you helps you remain open minded. Mm. Uh, keeps you in line with the truth. Uh, instead of shutting your mind to something, uh, builds your thinking skills. Uh, you don't necessarily mean you have no idea. It just means that you're not a hundred percent sure. I do this all the time. Yeah. I used to feel like I had this pressure to like, guess, just like, Oh, when did this happen? And I'd be like, Oh, probably the early 1800s. <laughs> History is what I bullshit the most. <laughs> when did Napoleon do his thing? Oh man. 1482. <laughs> I don't know. 700? <laughs> 700? Am I in the right millennia? Uh, uh, number seven, practice intellectual humility. Stop trying to be right all the time. It's not a goal of education. When you know your intellectual limits, you can increase efficiency of our learning. Uh, eight, improve credibility. This is another thing I really like. If you lie less, then... <laughs> yeah, uh, people people do this, especially, I'll say, especially men do this all the time, of just like, like oh, I... I feel like my answer is probably going to be right. So I'm just going to say it really confidently. Yeah. Uh, number nine, pursue meaningful problems. The deeper you plumb an issue for answers, the closer you get to the kernel of truth. Ooh. Of just like, you know, I don't know why somebody does that. I'm going to figure that out. Instead yeah. of just assuming that you know people's reasoning behind their actions, I'm like sure. actually figuring it out. Uh, and number 10, gain academic confidence. It may seem counterintuitive, but you'll only gain more confidence in yourself if you remain aware of what you do and don't know. Yeah. I think it's a very freeing thing. Now, granted, it, it can make you lazy if you're not careful. Sure. Uh, but I, it it is just a great opportunity to learn more information and connect with people over, you know, shared ignorance. Sure. <laughs> it is also one of the power phrases that you can, you should learn in a bunch of different foreign languages. Yeah. When we went to Japan, I made sure to learn, I'm so sorry, and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I don't understand. Do you remember what it is in Spanish? I remember what it is in French. No lo sé. Je ne sais pas. Je ne sais pas? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of je ne sais quoi. 
Yeah. And that means, what that booty do? <laughs> what that booty do? Uh, can I tell you some submissions? Yes, please. All right, here's our first one. It's from Leah, who says, Hey, guys, my small wonder this week is baseball season finally getting into full swing. I've been a season ticket holder for the Houston Astros since 2004, and I've grown up at Minute Maid Park. Such a good park. Holy shit. We had oh, a yeah, great you just got to time go there. This. Yeah, we went last year. I would love to go again. Yeah. I think I like the Astros. The Reds have been like my team, but that's just because this is the one you're born close to in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't live there anymore. So, but I am close to the S. Anyway, this is Leah's time. Opening day is a highlight in my year, and going to baseball games is one of my favorite things in the world. Bonus, this is the first year I've been 21 during the regular season, and now I can have those giant frozen margaritas. Uh, maybe you three can get out to a game this season to cheer on the Strohs. Oh, that sounds really fun. Yeah. I actually, I really love going to baseball games. Yeah, we go to the Round Rock Express from time to time when it's not 400,000 degrees I've Celsius. i kind of wanted to be a season ticket holder or something, but it's never really made sense or been convenient. Yeah, I never have. When my dad emceed the uh, River City Locomotives team, which was our very shortly lived arena <laughs> football team in Huntington, uh-huh. we went to every game of that. But that wasn't really a season ticket. That was daddy perks. <laughs> I hated saying that out loud. Alex says, something I think is wonderful is using a very sharp pencil to begin a printed puzzle. My favorite is Sudoku. Oh. I have not owned... A pencil? Sharpener. In, oh. I'm, I've been, I haven't been in school for a long time. And so like my need for a pencil sharpener is like once or twice a year. Oh, my parents had one of those electric pencil sharpeners. Those are the best. Oh, we did too at the house growing up. But then, you know, the computers happened yeah and the need for pencils plummeted drastically do you remember pencil sharpeners at your elementary school oh yeah it was kind of like the water cooler for little kids like i just remember like going to the pencil sharpener and just like chit-chatting with whoever was there i like seeing how little i could get my my guys oh you're one of those (laughs) okay (laughs) all right emily says i think that seahorses are wonderful i love thinking about them out there Putzing around with those curly tails and the snouts. I love that the dudes carry the babies. That's pretty good, too. I just like a seahorse. Yeah. Some of them look scary. I've seen a few that yeah. have a lot of tendrils, let's say. A lot of uh, uh, extra dangly bits. And I'm not mm. a fan of I don't. I don't. They, they are, they're still beautiful, but they're not my cup of tea. There's probably people who love the tendrils, though. <laughs> and those people are perverts. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. Um, thank you to, gosh, Maximum Fun and everybody who came out to support us in the Max Fun Drive. Uh, we really, really appreciate you helping uh, keep our keep our show going and growing. And uh, thanks to, I mean, all the shows on the network are also super good, and you should go listen to them. Uh, there's, uh, what is there? Mission to Zix is real good. Who shot you? Um, who shot you? Switchblade Sisters. Uh, stop podcasting yourself. There's so many all at MaximumFun.org. And we've got stuff at McElroy.family, too. What else, babe? Uh, those of you that are in and around Austin, Jordan Jesse Go is doing like their first tour in almost a decade. Mm. Uh, and they're coming through Austin and we are planning to go. Yeah, we're going so we well, to see you there. We're, we've been invited to perform on the stage with them. Yes. that We're not yes. just attending. <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll be fun. I think it's June. I'm going to get the date wrong. It's in June, but it's I want to say it's the 29th, 20, something, like, something yeah. like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, come see us in Austin. 
Uh, speaking of tours, uh, we just announced that we're from a Bim Bam and Adventure Zone. We're doing the Become the Monster tour. Uh, it's basically we've announced all of our live shows for the rest of the year. Uh, so if you want to come out and see us, we're going to a bunch of different places. Uh, just off the top of my head, like Cleveland and um, why is Cleveland the only one I can remember? <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Chicago, Chicago Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Orlando, Atlanta, um, uh, West Coast, probably some some. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah, very good. <laughs> I did a good job. It, it's all at MacRoy.family. You can find links to the stuff there. Uh, one last thing. This is kind of a. Uh, Bummer. I don't really know how to talk about it, uh, but it kind of came up during the streaming stuff we were doing during Max Fun Drive, where people were like Justin and Travis were showing off their pets, and people were asking about uh, Cecil, who we haven't mentioned in a while. Uh, it is it is because he is uh, he's very sadly he is gone. He uh, he ran off last year, and we have reason to believe that he is uh, no longer with us, which is a very sad thing. And like it felt weird not to uh, like talk about it on yeah, the show he was kind of a character on the show he was kind of a character on the show but like i don't i don't know how to like announce that and we're not very like active on social media and it seems like a weird thing to like make a proclamation about but so many people were like asking and it felt yeah. it made me realize like we oh, mainly kind of wanted to share so that in the future if if you have questions yeah you should so know, you know that we we are uh, not talking about it because it is not a thing yeah, for us it's anymore, been it has been a yeah it's been a year also so like if your instinct is to like let us know some tips on like how to lure a cat back like believe me we've done yeah, it we so please that. please don't send that in you know. it's it's kind of a bummer but yeah i know it's kind of like a weird way to end the in the show but it's something we wanted to talk about just because uh you know people are people are invested in our lives and stuff and cecil is a big part of our lives and he's a very 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 good cat but uh yeah uh so let's we end still, with, we still have henry though we still do have henry yeah he, and he's doing great he's doing very good so um that is it let's do some what's a funny joke now (laughs) um maybe we i'm gonna should you you want to hit me with a pie you want to spill you want to pour the rest of the drink on the ground gosh you want to go maybe uh there's my closet over there you want to go get a place spaghetti and just opened it please i would be lost without you please do not MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hey everybody, this is J. Keith Van Stratton, host of Go Fact Yourself, a live game show here in the Maximum Fun Network. Make sure to listen to our next episode of Go Fact Yourself with guest Kurt Brownowler. I did a show in Flagstaff, Arizona, where the venue just didn't list that the show existed. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and I, and it is the smallest crowd that I've ever done a full hour of stand-up for. It was three people. Oh, wow. my God. And Sarah Schaefer. Yes, I love crafting. It's my hobby. I have a craft nook in my home. You do? I do. It has yeah. all my supplies displayed in an adorable manner. Wow. <laughs> 
Yes. Okay. That, uh, uh, yes, applause. Applause for a nook. That's Go Fact Yourself here at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts.